Well, good morning. It's good to see you. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it is great to see you this morning. Some old friends who are in town, and uh, some some of you who are visiting family. And so we welcome you to Christ Central. And we are continuing in our series uh, in Acts this morning. We've titled this series "Thy Kingdom Come: God's Mission to the World." And I've thoroughly enjoyed being in the Book of Acts over the past few months, and uh, believe God has uh, continued to give us a vision of his kingdom uh, and how God is at work in his mission of the kingdom and the, the power of the gospel to renew our lives in this community, in the city, in the world. And, and so we are nearing the end. This is the second to last sermon in the book of Acts. We'll end next week with Acts chapter 15. And so this morning we're going to look at Acts 14, verses 19 to 28. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read God's word this morning. You will stand. This is God's word. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Isaiah 40 tells us, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. Thank you that you do speak, you have revealed yourself, and we ask Holy Spirit to come now to meet us where we are wherever we are this morning. If we're tired, if we are hurting, if uh, we are excited, if we're joyful, Lord, wherever we are, meet us and change us because uh, of encountering you this morning in your word. Uh, Remove me so that Jesus is seen. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, Lord Jesus, be pleasing to you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So there's a a game, you could call it a game, that Rachel and I like to play, and it's really just a question. Uh, We like to ask each other or others, if you had to have a walk-up song like baseball players have before they go to bat or boxers have before uh, they walk into the ring for a fight, what would your walk-up or walk-out song be? Uh, We actually had a dinner party at our house a few weekends ago, and Rachel decided it'd be a good idea to play this game, and so she asked everybody before they arrived to email their walkout song. Uh, And so we all gathered at our house for a dinner party, and Rachel would randomly play a song, and whoever song it was, they had to go up and take a swing on a ball, Uh, and and we would measure whoever hit it the furthest would win the prize. Now, the game kind of got messed up because we have a small backyard and people were just kind of jacking it over the fence, but it was still fun to hear a walkout song and try to guess who 
it was that was going to come up uh, for, that, for that song and take a swing at the plate. Walkout songs can be songs that really are theme songs that, that meet you where you are. They communicate who you are and what you're about. And the fun thing about playing that game where you just kind of ask the question to another person is that the walkout song can change for a person depending on a circumstance or your mood or where you are in life, right? The walkout song that I might play on Monday morning could be different than a walkout song I'd play on Friday afternoon. Uh, And I'm not trying to be like super original this morning because I think I'm probably a little bit too afraid of being like overly original in sermons uh, and that, that comes out over the top and it comes across as cheesy. Uh, I'm not trying to be too cheesy this morning, but what I want to do is frame our sermon, frame our text with three different walkout songs. Three different walkout songs that we're going to look at in our sermon this morning. The first is by a band that I, I did not know, but I definitely know their song, Chumbawamba. Anybody heard of Chumbawamba? You've heard the song, I get knocked down and I get up again, right? I get knocked down and I get up again. The second, old school, 1970s and 80s journey. Don't stop believing, right? And then the third, I couldn't really come up with uh, a good one. Uh, this is a good one, but Matt Redman, Christian song, Come and See. Uh, come and See. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So back into our text in Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas, they have been and they are traveling on, their, on this missionary journey. And they have traveled to Cyprus, to Antioch and Pisidia, to Iconium, and now they are in Lystra. And while in Lystra, Paul and Barnabas heal a crippled man. We didn't read that part earlier in chapter 14. But they heal a crippled man. And the crowds in Lystra start calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, Greek gods. The crowds are in this frenzy over the power being displayed by Paul and Barnabas. And then in verse 18 of chapter 14, the crowds are wanting to offer these sacrifices to Paul Paul and Barnabas because they believe that they're deity. And then the Jews in Antioch and Iconium come to Lystra in verse 19, and they persuade the crowds. The Jews, those in power, those in influence come to Lystra, and they flex their muscles and their influence so that those who were praising Paul and Barnabas as deity now stone Paul. There's no trial. There's no jury. There's no justice and equity. It was a people of power using their power to create a frenzy that then turned into a mob execution, turned into a lynching. They wanted to hang Paul, but that uh, that was the mode of execution during. That was not the mode of execution during their day. They instead stoned Paul. They stoned him. They took rocks, big rocks, little rocks, sharp rocks, and they start hurling them at Paul. Big rock would be thrown. It hit Paul on the back and it knocked him down. Small rock thrown with a greater speed and it hit Paul in the face. Another rock. And then another rock, beating Paul down with every hit until he was bleeding profusely, unconscious, not moving. And then they drug him out of the city. And verse 19 says, supposing that he was dead. Can you imagine the pain, the humiliation, the suffering of Paul? Can you imagine the other disciples watching Paul get stoned? The powerlessness that they felt to make it stop. Paul, 
motionless, laying beaten down outside of the city. And then verse 20, it says that he was surrounded by the disciples. The disciples minister to Paul. They take care of him. And then verse 20 says that he rose up and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. Here's the theme song, the walk up song that Paul would be playing at this moment. I get knocked down and I get up again. I get knocked down and I get up again. Paul is experiencing injustice, oppression, could have easily thrown in the towel, said enough is enough, uncle, I quit, but instead he gets knocked down, he gets knocked out, and he gets up again. Why? Why? Why would Paul get knocked down and get back up again? text says he rose up, he entered the city, and the next day he went to preach the gospel to Derby. Paul's not going to wallow in his pain. He's not going to wallow in his humiliation. He's going to get back up. And with what seems to be a renewed vigor and renewed purpose, Paul is going to continue preaching the gospel. James Cone, in his book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, writes about Martin Luther King Jr., And he reflects on King's experiences of many trials and tribulations. Notes the night that King found 12 sticks of dynamite on his front porch. And later, King would preach in a sermon this, I went to bed many nights scared to death. Then early on a sleepless morning in January of 1956, rationality left me. Almost out of nowhere, I heard a voice that morning say to me, Preach the gospel. Stand up for truth, stand up for righteousness, and since that morning I can stand up without fear. King believed and lived out what he would also say, that if a man hasn't discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. Martin Luther King Jr. and the Apostle Paul could get knocked down and get back up again because they lived for a much greater purpose than their own comfort. They lived for something that they were willing to die for, the mission and the kingdom of God. Now, church, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know everything that every one of you have gone through. I don't know what rocks have hit you, or what suffering has come your way, or what suffering will come your way. But I do know if you're a Christian, you will have many rocks thrown at you. You will experience trials and tribulations of many kinds. You will get knocked down. Because we have a real enemy, and we live in a broken world. But I want to tell you this morning that you can get back up again. You can rise, and you can stand, and the next day, go about gospel business. Go about the Lord's work. No matter what might happen to you in this day, there is always the next day. And the hope of God's kingdom and mission advancing through you. And that can cause you to stand up for the truth of God and righteousness without fear. I want to tell you that comfort, security, success, your peace and quiet, your money, whatever things that we can often pursue that motivate us in life, only motivate us for a season. They're really not worth living for. The kingdom of God is the most sure thing, and it is the ultimate thing worth living for. And when trials and tribulations come your way, the promise that God will bring His kingdom to earth as it is in heaven is the best motivation to rise up and live the next day with purpose. 
So Paul and Barnabas preach the gospel. They make many disciples. God's working through these faithful men, these men who have suffered and experienced intense pain, who have gotten back up because they have a purpose to live for the next day, the kingdom of God. But let me bring kingdom living a little bit more into focus for us. Paul and Barnabas retrace, I don't know if you picked up on it, they retrace their missionary steps. They return and they go back to Lystra, the place of Paul's stoning. They go back to Iconium, the place where the Jews poisoned the minds of the Gentiles and persecute Paul and Barnabas. They go back to Antioch, the place where they are also persecuted. And this was intentional by Paul and Barnabas. They could have much easier take, much easily taken a, a much more direct route home. But instead, they revisit the cities. Why? Because they knew that life was not to be lived for themselves, but for the sake of others. It's to be lived for the sake of others. Someone at our midweek prayer gathering this past week prayed this, Lord, help us not to live for our own selves and our own comfort, but help us to think about and live for the sake of others. That's a kingdom prayer. For the sake of others. So here's a motivation for Daniel to get up on Monday the next day. Motivation for you. Someone might need me. And God might just use me in the life of another person. Do you realize that God uses you in the lives of other people if you're willing? Do you realize that I need you to get up and show up? Do you realize that the person to your left and to your right needs you to get up and show up? Especially people who are broken and contrite. People who know they need God. People who have suffered and are broken and dependent on God have so much to offer us. Those of you who have been suffering and you've shown up to Citigroup, those of you who have been suffering and you've shown up here on a Sunday morning and you've shared in the midst of your suffering and your pain, we need that and I thank you. For that. I love when those of you share in our congregational prayer time, real hurt, real pain, you've shown up and you're sharing. Please know that God uses that in incredible ways in all of our lives. So Paul and Barnabas retrace their steps. They go back to the, to the Christians in these cities that they had visited and they're living for the sake of others. And verse 22 says that they're strengthening the soul's of the disciples. And the text gives us three ways that they're strengthening the souls of the disciples. The first, they're encouraging them to continue in the faith. The second, they're appointing elders in each of the churches. And then lastly, they're saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So Paul and Barnabas going back to these cities, playing the walk-up song of journey, don't stop believing. They go back to the Christians in these churches to strengthen them. And the first thing they do to encourage them is to tell them, continue in the faith. Don't stop. Keep believing. See, Paul and Barnabas could have come back and shared many things with the Christians in these cities. But the thing he encourages them and exhorts them with is continue in the faith. Keep believing. Because of all people, Paul, Paul and Barnabas knew that if you're a Christian in this world, You'll suffer 
Heck, Paul, Paul was stoned in Lystra, and the Christians who he was revisiting would have seen it happen. Paul and Barnabas were persecuted in Iconium and Antioch, and the Christians there would have seen it happen. And they go back to these Christians and they share, in the midst of your suffering, keep fighting. In the midst of your, of your pain, don't stop believing. Because Paul and Barnabas knew that when suffering and pain and hardship come, it is easy, it is easy to lose heart. It's the classic sports movie or football movie. When one team takes a beating in the first half of the game and the score is like 28 to nothing at halftime, and the losing team comes into the locker room and they're just dejected, right? They, they know the game is over. They've given up. They're going to lose the game. And all of us have been in situations and times in our life when it feels like the score of life is 28 to zero. We're at zero. You've lost a job. You can't get a job. Your children are disobedient. A family member dies or is diagnosed with terminal illness. You want to be married and you just can't get a date. Your marriage is is the most difficult it's ever been. You want to have a child and you're unable to. I could go on and on about all the difficulties that I know all of us have experienced. And it is easy in these moments to lose faith, to stop believing, and to lose heart. And as Christians in the midst of pain and suffering, we have to put our hope in something greater. It's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are transient are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Brothers and sisters, we have to remind one another, don't stop believing. The Christian life is a fight, and it will be hard. We have to continue in the faith. The second thing we see about how Paul and Barnabas strengthen the disciples is that they appoint elders in all of the churches. Look at verse 23. It says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. These churches, they're young. They're young in faith. They're weak. And I'm sure that there are Christians who get upset in these churches, Christians who are arrogant, Christians who think they know it all. These weren't perfect churches. There were difficulties going on in these churches, just like there will be difficulties in Christ's central church. So Paul and Barnabas appoint elders to lead and strengthen these churches. This is the first time the word elder is used in the book of Acts. It's an official office being established here for the life of the church. And some of the purpose of elder is organizational. These elders would be appointed to help make final decisions, the direction of the church, the care of the church, delegation of responsibilities within the church. Organization is not a bad thing. Organization is needed, was needed, and still is needed. But I want you to see that the elders in the church, the leadership in the church here, it's not like running for Durham City Council. It's not like running for state representative. It's, It's not church representative. This is not campaigning or self-promotion. This is being appointed with prayer and fasting. Appointed with prayer and fasting. Those who are called to elder 
are called into a high spiritual office for caring and tending to the people of God. Called into shepherding and caring for the souls of the people in the church. And these are people who are not elected through campaigning, but people who have been living out this life of a Christian, shepherding and caring and leading already. And then the people of God pray and fast and seek the Lord, and then the church appoints them to the office of elder. Let me, let me use this time right now to, to educate quickly and then motivate a little bit. Christ Central Church is what we call in our denomination a mission church. We're a mission church because we don't have our own elders right now. I and Timothy are both ordained as elders. But we will remain a mission church until we have lay people, you, members of our church in our own congregation who are appointed through prayer and fasting to the office of elder. Until that time, we have what's called a temporary session or a temporary group of elders. And I, I serve on that with three other people from surrounding churches who were appointed. And this temporary group of elders gives spiritual oversight and direction and care for us as a church. Now, that's a very quick education of where we are as a church. But our prayer and our hope is to have our own elders people who are members in our church becoming elders of Christ Central so that people from within can care and shepherd and lead our church. So here's my motivation, my exhortation. We need leadership, men and women. We need you to lead. We need you to love and to serve and to invest into the life of our church, but not just the four walls of our church, the life of this city and in this world. And Lord willing, we'll have our own elders. My prayer, our prayer, Timothy, as I've, I've talked, is that maybe within the next 18 months this could be true. These are elders who are not appointed because they run some slick campaign. All of a sudden, you're going to start working the congregation so you get appointed. These are people who are elders because with prayer and fasting, the church sees them living out already leading and shepherding and caring for the spiritual health of the congregation. As I think about Christ Central Church in the next few years of this very young church, 16 months old we are, uh, I keep coming back to one of our greatest needs being leadership. We need you to lead. Men and women, we need you to lead to strengthen our church. The last thing we see about how Paul and Barnabas strengthens the disciples is he tells them by many tribulations you will enter the kingdom of God. Yet again, we see that if you're a Christian, life will be hard. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you will be well acquainted with trials and tribulations. Trouble is not a stranger to those who follow Jesus. Now, I know that's not very enticing, especially if you're not a Christian and you're here. <laughs> Come trust Jesus. Live with purpose for the sake of others. You will face trials and tribulations. But Paul is encouraging and strengthening the Christians in these cities to cheer up. Your suffering is evidence that you are living for the kingdom of God. So what this text makes very clear is if you're living for the purpose of God's mission, it will be hard. Life will not be easy. Now in our day in Durham, North Carolina, we are not being stoned for our faith in Jesus, are we? 
We're not being fed to lions like the early church. We're not being beheaded like those in the Middle East or imprisoned like many around the country. At least not yet. At least not yet. And here's the thing. We in America, we like to sing about the faith of our fathers who suffered much, who are willing to be led to death. We pray for the world and for the persecution that happens around the world. But then here we are with unbelievable freedom to gather on a Sunday morning in this beautiful sanctuary and we worship. And this experience of freedom that we have, it really begs the question that R.C. Sproul asks. Is this freedom because suddenly our country is more open to the proclamation of the gospel? Or is it because in a very real sense the church militant has become the church impotent? as we seek a safe way to experience our faith. Now, that is convicting <laughs> to me. Do we have safe and easy and comfortable lives because people are more open to the gospel and they're more open to the way that we live for the gospel and they're more open to the way we speak about the gospel? Or is it because in a very real sense we, the church, have stopped being militant and intentional about marching forward for the cause of Christ, whatever may come and whatever it may cost? Instead, have we become the church impotent, seeking safety, comfort, non-confrontation? It's been clear in Acts that the way of the kingdom is suffering and then glory. It's the cross and then the crown. And if there is no cross, then there is no crown. Now, I'm not asking you to be the judge of other people's suffering. There are trials of many kinds, various kinds. We will all have our own trials. But as Christians, we will have trials. Because again, we have a very real enemy living in a broken world with broken people. But I am asking you, brothers and sisters, to look at your life. Has your life become about ease and comfort and security so that your witness for the gospel has become impotent and therefore there's no suffering? I want you to hear this morning in the midst of your life the song, Don't Stop Believing. Keep fighting. Keep persevering. Keep pressing on. Paul and Barnabas finally returned to Antioch their home church, their home base. In verse 27, it says, They arrived and they gathered the church together, and they declared all that God had done with them and how He opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. The walk-up song at this point, again, I had to go with a Christian song, but it fits. <laughs> Come and see. Come and see all that God has done. This now is a song of triumph. It's a song of victory. The kingdom of God is not only suffering, it's not only the cross, it's through suffering and bearing the cross that the victory song is sung. Notice, though, that the victory and the glory in this text belongs to God. All that God has done. God opened the door of faith. The Lord was the one working and advancing and building His kingdom. And He just uses His followers to do so. Now, Rachel and I watched uh, the movie Big Eyes this past week. It's based on the true story of Walter and Margaret Keene. If you know this story, Margaret Keene uh, became Keene. She was an artist. 
she had become recently divorced, moved with her daughter to San Francisco, where she meets Walter. Walter, she thinks, also is an artist. And Margaret paints pictures of children. And the distinctive of her paintings is that she, are, are the eyes of the children. She paints big eyes, that's the name for these paintings, big eyes. And the eyes communicate what each of these children feel. Now, Walter is, is an extremely good salesman. He's a good talker, and somehow Margaret finds herself married to Walter in a very short amount of time, allowing Walter to sell her paintings. And not only to sell, but Walter starts claiming in order to make the sale that he's the painter of all of the big eyes. He's the painter. And for 10 years, Margaret would paint the big eyes and would allow Walter to sell the paintings, and they made a fortune. All the, all the while, he's claiming he's the creator and he's the painter. Well, Margaret finally had enough, took Walter to trial, and in court, Walter was still defending himself in the midst of court. He's the painter. He's the, he's the originator of big eyes. And the judge settles in Margaret's defense, and, and the movie says that, that Walter would, until his dying days, claim that he was the painter behind all of the big eyes. Walter, the movie did a great job of depicting this, was crazy. Crazy. But brothers and sisters, we can be just as crazy. If we ever look at our lives and we see triumph and the crown, we see good things happening in our lives. Or if we look at our church and we see growth and advancement and we try to claim that we're the authors of this success, that we're the, the ones behind it all, we're crazy. We are crazy. May it never be. May we always know God is the one who opens the doors. He's the author of your life of my life and of this church. He's the writer of your story and our story as a church. So we always must sing, come and see all that God has done. I want, you to, I want to ask you to do two, two things, two easy applications from the sermon this morning. The first thing, I want to ask you to share. I want you to share with others your suffering and your glory. I want you to share when times are hard and when times are good. Sharing is one easy way for you to live for others. Because we all need to be encouraged by hearing how God is at work in your trials and in your triumphs. Which means, if you're going to share, you have to be in a relationship with one another. It means you have to show up here on Sunday mornings. It means you have to show up on, for city groups or city fellowship and share means you have to live life together Monday through Sunday and share. You give the gift to one another of sharing how God is at work in your trials and in your triumph. We need you, I need you, to share. Second thing is to rejoice. To rejoice, to thank God. We need to be a people that give thanks that God is the hero, and that God is always at work in our suffering and our glory. And it's amazing how the command is, is to rejoice often in Scripture. It's a command. Don't always feel like it. But the command is to rejoice and to thank God, and in doing so, God can change a heart of despair into a heart of contentment and praise. So rejoice with one another in community and relationship. There are going to be times in life when you need to hear the song, I get knocked down and I get up again. Times when you need to hear the song, 
Don't stop believing in the times of triumph and rejoicing where we point away from ourselves and we point to God and we say, come and see all that God has done. Wherever you find yourself, I pray that you will know and we will believe God's in control. He's leading. And He is at work no matter the circumstances. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would help us Help us to believe. Lord Jesus, help us to see your faithfulness to us and to hold tightly and to fight the good fight, to trust you. When we get knocked down, would we get up again because we live for the kingdom of God, for others, for your sake and for your glory. Thank you that you never let us go and that all that is happening in our life is a is a picture and a sign pointing to how you are at work in the hard and in the good. So help us to trust that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.